0: Hello plant friends, great to be here with you again. For those of you who are new, thanks for popping by. My name is Simon Hill and I'm the creator of Plant Proof and host of the Plant Proof Podcast. Each week here on the Plant Proof Podcast, I sit down with incredible humans and have conversations so we can become more mindful and conscious with the way we live our lives. If you are a regular listener, welcome back. And thanks for sharing all the positive feedback on social media. I'm being tagged in more and more amazing posts each week, and it's really motivating me to continue digging deep with the conversations I have and making sure I get the very best guess I can to help us learn more. Let's dive into this week's guest. Today, I sit down with Julian Mitchell. Julian is a former top-level sports physiotherapist who co-founded Lifecycle, a company based in Byron Bay, Australia, that specializes in medicinal mushroom extracts. On top of that, Julian is currently building the National Mushroom Network, which is all about decentralizing the food system. What on earth does that mean? Don't worry, I thought the very same thing. Medicinal mushrooms have been used for thousands of years in Eastern medicine, and in recent times have come back into vogue, with several brands hitting the shelves in just the past few years. So I thought it was fitting to get Julian on the show to explain exactly what medicinal mushrooms are, the different types, benefits, and what the National Mushroom Network is all about. I really hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, share a story on Instagram of what you're doing while you're listening. I always like seeing what people are up to around the world while they're tuning in. Time to jump into the app and hear from the mushroom man himself, Julian Mitchell. Julian Mitchell, welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast.
1: Hi Simon, thanks. I'm very excited to uh, to chat mushrooms today. It's, uh, it's
0: awesome to have you down here in, in Bondi and you know, mushrooms, mate, you are, you're the mushroom man. We, it's a, it's a, it's a food that I have wanted to explore a lot more. And I've done a a little bit of, of research, I guess, in traditional Chinese medicine in my past. And, you know, they've been using medicinal mushrooms for thousands of years. And all of a sudden now in the last sort of two or five years, we've seen mushrooms pop up, mushroom extracts on, on grocery shelves and health food stores. So who better than yourself to come here and explain to me what what mushrooms are all about and, and why we should perhaps
1: be adding more of them to our diet. Absolutely. Excited to chat. It's been uh, you know, left in the Eastern medicine realms of Chinese traditional medicine for some time and is really making its way over to the West now, which is exciting because there's a lot of wisdom, knowledge and science behind it.
0: And before we delve into to Lifecycle, your, your company, which you co-founded, and all the, the products that you guys are offering and, and mushrooms themselves, can we, can we jump back? I'd love to understand how you first developed a passion for health and, and wellness. Where, where did you grow up and what was your, your childhood like?
1: Yeah, my childhood was uh, a typical you know, Australian young boy, watching, you know, football on the TV and playing cricket in the in the summers and and life revolved around that. Um, that was the starting point. And then I guess as I, you know, went through, you know, junior football and, and cricket and things and understanding the need to to get an education as well, I started marrying that up with how do I how do I do both, be involved in sport and uh, you know, have a have a career. And so went down the path of physiotherapy, always fascinated by elite sport and elite athletes and how they thought, trained, performed and just that spectacle and was very lucky first job out of university was in the uh, English Premier League so finished my last exam um, and then flew out straight away and we went went and worked at a team called the Wolverhampton Wolves which were in the Premier League and at that time we're on top of the table actually above Man U and and Chelsea for for a couple of weeks at least so it was an amazing sort of trajectory to go from you know Perth Fremantle University to the English Premier League where uh, you know. You're hanging amongst managers and coaches like Jose Mourinho from Chelsea and meeting Tim Cahill. And, and I sat near a Harry Kuhl at a basketball game courtside. And so it was a fascinating world that been, I jumped into. Must have been pinching yourself in some of those moments. Absolutely. It was um, <laughs> everything I dreamt of yeah. um, occurring within, you know. Well, what year did you finish physiotherapy? It was 2009. That's crazy. You know, you
0: know um, I, I did physiotherapy as well down in melbourne and i, I graduated in two thousand wow. and nine and went on and was working with um with the richmond football club so we we followed a similar path there yeah, yeah. um okay so you you grew up in perth you you went on you studied physiotherapy you were working with elite football teams elite athletes. When did you sort of transition out of that part of your career and into running your own business or getting interested in yeah. in mushrooms like how did all
1: of that yeah. come about? it was really i guess that was what I thought I wanted to do, and be be head of medical for an elite sport team, and and go down that path. And I guess trying to marry up, it just didn't feel complete in the sense of working on an ankle with an athlete. It was fun, um, but I just thought, how do we, or well, how can I have a bit more impact at scale um, around health and sustainability? And so yeah, I just sort of, I guess, left that environment. You know, had a great time, enjoyed it, a lot of learnings, working with you know, high level nutritionists, psychologists, surgeons. From the UK and Europe. Um, and so I had a, a good base of knowledge. And then I just came back and, and worked as a health consultant for a mining company. And there we were sort of spending a lot of time on mental health, talking about these issues with, with FIFO workers and which is fly in, fly out workers in, in WA. And uh, I guess just from there, you know, a lot of talks on nutrition, a lot of understanding on that, and just realizing, uh, you know, how can we solve this issue? It's about providing the solution in terms of mushrooms being a solution because. Very low water use required, very low land use required. You know, they're grown from a waste product, seemingly, such as coffee waste or, or other agricultural waste forms. And so it's a, a more sustainable future for us to feed ourselves. Um, it's a more ethical one. And it just seemed right. And it ticks so many boxes that Ryan and myself, my co founder, who we were working with in the mining, when we came up with the idea of, of mushrooms and, and coffee waste and, and the future of food, um, that's sort of how we went down that path. But we never imagined it to be where it is three years on. Did did you like
0: you identified there was a problem with the food system? It sounds like at that stage when when you were you know drawing this this connection and getting interested in mushrooms. But did you like go up on the whiteboard and and think about all the different types of foods that could solve this problem? And then you came to mushrooms, or was mushrooms
1: introduced to you by someone else? Like how 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 did how did mushrooms come about? It's so funny you say whiteboard because when we're up on mine sites, um, Ryan and I would have our whiteboard. Coated with ideas um, around this And it was trying to find Which was the biggest lever Understanding solar energy Wind energy We're moving to renewable energy Which is great You know how are we thinking About food at scale And so looking at different systems Hydroponic systems soilless systems Urban farming um, But really all tracked back To protein source And what had the best nutrient value And mushrooms From an amino acid profile From a polyphenol antioxidant profile From an immune profile And it just tastes in terms of delicious and organic and growing from waste again. It was just tick, tick, tick. Um, and no one was doing this, no one was Mm. playing in this space. And we sort of saw that wave of you know, uh, hemp medicinal cannabis playing out at the same time in California and and North America and understanding the ball would move to mushrooms. So we wanted to be at the forefront of that, which you know,
0: so you could sort of see that these. These alternatives, I guess, at some stage we were starting to become more mainstream, and people were looking for other options in the yep. market. Yeah, exactly. And from from that sort of brain initial brainstorming, where you you decided you wanted to do something with mushrooms, how did it play out? What was the journey towards founding Life Cycle, starting it? Can you talk us through that process?
1: Yeah, it was sort of I, I guess just taking the jump. Um, I mean, we remained in our in our jobs, full time employment. And we were lucky we were working in a mining environment so that Frosters was one week on, one week off. And so in the week off, we would be in Perth just building the business. And we started with a crowdfunding campaign. It's a good way to, I guess, understand if there's you know, engagement, if there's interest in what you're doing. It's a good way to build community and, and raise some capital early. What year was that? What year was that? That was three years ago. Yeah. So 2015, late 2015. And what sort of, for that crowdfunding campaign,
0: did you put together a video or what were you, what were you sort of not, not selling, but what were you showing to the people that were going to pledge their
1: money? Yeah. Our mission at that point was to build the world's first urban mushroom farm in Fremantle, where we recycle coffee waste from local cafes and we take that to within a five kilometer radius to grow mushrooms, which go back on the menu as a hero of the dish.
0: And I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to fathom this. You guys were, you came up with this idea of, of mushrooms and now you're talking about recycling coffee. There must've been so much reading and learning. Like, did you, did you get someone in who had done this before or were you winging it to an extent at the start? And and how did you, how did you grow your, your first mushrooms yourself?
1: Yeah, we grew our first mushrooms just, we did the experiments on our kitchen bench and we, we set up the wine, the wine cellar in, in terms of a dark room where we, we were growing these mushrooms, um, which it's always very funny to look back at those pictures um, <laughs> to realize how much we didn't know about mushrooms. And even when we actually crowdfunded, um, we hadn't grown a mushroom until after the crowdfunding. And so we sort of, I guess, had this idea and we just sort of went with it and, and continued to to believe, you know, we could do it. And as we know, through Google, YouTube and all the plethora of, you know, information out there, there's so much to learn. And uh, you know, we connected with some experts in mushrooms as well, and it all, all
0: prevailed and so the crowdfunding campaign was a success yeah and the the company sort of launched so to speak right yeah and what was it what was the first year like in terms of actually starting to to grow the mushrooms and
1: and begin your product development it was it was both in terms of it was amazingly great and it was amazingly difficult because growing mushrooms from coffee waste is typically very hard you need a very sterile environment you know there's a lot of back end science behind it and then at the same time, we got a lot of media. So in the first three months, we got some media on ABC, got around you know 1.5 million views. And then we had David Wolf from North America do a video on us, which we didn't know about. And that got another million views. And so we had Huffington Post and Land. What was the
0: narrative of this media? Like, what were they saying? This is the, this is the future of This food. is the
1: this future. It's a circular economy. Um, you know, this is, I guess, young guys thinking outside the box and having a go, which is exciting. And that coffee waste into mushrooms. And so I think yeah that mushrooms have, you know, haven't been a part of mainstream media or mainstream conversation for a long time. There's been a more a phobia around them. We've been stuck to the button mushroom, and they were very excited about well, what are these other mushrooms you're growing? I've never seen them.
0: And that I guess that circle and that cycle that's where your name life cycle came from, which is with a K for those listening, and and I'll have the link to the life cycle website in the show notes. In terms of coffee into mushrooms, can you? talk us through that process.
1: How how on earth does that happen? Yeah, it's a a modern day alchemy. It's a form of a metamorphosis. But mushrooms are amazing. They're known as nature's recycler. And so in a a forest, you'll find mushrooms all over a rotting dead, dead log, whether it's the fruiting body, the actual mushroom, or the mycelium, which is the white root structure of mushrooms. And we can talk about that because that plays an integral role in the ecosystem of the forests and the health of the ecosystem. And so... Essentially, the mushrooms grow from coffee waste because they're able to adapt. I mean, mushrooms can grow from many things. Right now, we're doing experiments with textile waste because textile waste is, a, is an enormous issue. It's the second biggest polluter behind the fossil fuel industry. And so we're running experiments now with, with companies such as Ikea and Australia Post managing textile waste and doing trials, and that's very exciting. So I guess at the core of it, mushrooms are very adaptable and they're able to eat anything that has a cellulose space and so this is a lot of agricultural waste and this is wood and, and coffee as well um, has more nitrogen, but we're able to, I guess, add different formulas to get it perfect and not easy, but we've been able to do it. And it's exciting because there's so much coffee waste out there.
0: So if you, if you take that coffee, you have to put the coffee into certain conditions, I'm assuming like humid type of forest floor type
1: conditions. And do you need to add anything to it for the mushrooms to grow? Yeah, so once we collect the coffee, the collection process is important in terms of being clean and sterile and that just means keeping, once collecting it, making sure the bucket is got a lid on it so there's no open air getting into it because it's the, the microbes and the bacteria that you can't see but that is present everywhere that can get to the coffee. And so it's keeping it clean and sterile, keeping it low temperature under 15 degrees and then processing it within 24 hours, but there's no added chemicals to it. It's all a natural process. So it's just working with the parameters of nature and giving the mushrooms the best chance over bacteria. And so if you keep it cold, it makes it easier for mushrooms to win that battle. If you keep uh, the environment dark, if you keep it very sterile, then the mushrooms will win out over other competing bacterias and ingest that coffee waste. And then you put it into, like you said, a a forest floor environment um, where it's high humidity, high oxygen, dim light, and then they'll start to fruit after 14 days. And, you know, people
0: listening are probably thinking, well, there's, there's lots of different types of mushrooms, right? Does, does coffee in those conditions produce a very particular type of mushroom? You know, you see it at supermarkets, shiitake, oyster, uh, enoki, things like that. Mm. Um, how are the different types of mushrooms cultivated or produced? Yeah, yeah
1: typically they're grown from sawdust or straw, um, and I guess... Where that sawdust comes from in terms of you know, logging um, is not something, I guess, that we are fond of. So the more mushrooms you're growing from, from sawdust, the more logging that is occurring. And we just think there's other materials such as hemp for, you know, for, that can replace the logging industry because that's you know, in many ways a disaster in itself. These are the lungs of earth. This is a, an ecosystem that provides biosecurity through biodiversity. And so coffee waste was already being used. It's already being farmed. It's already being shipped here, the bean. And ninety nine percent is ending up in the landfill, and so that can be used as as, uh, as mushrooms.
0: So, so what type of mushroom are you producing from the coffee?
1: Yeah, we uh, I guess we can lay claim to being the only company globally growing all mushrooms from coffee waste. But what we focus on is lion's mane, reishi, turkey tail, and um, we've just begun a native cordyceps strain, which is very exciting. And um, this is another medicinal mushroom. But then we grow oysters. Which are known uh, as the, typically the vegetarian steak because of its health profile, its amino acids, its iron, and its B vitamins. And many strains of oysters, there's the pink, pearl, blue, white. Yeah, around twelve strains in total. And and life
0: cycle is using all of these to produce extracts or are you selling some of them as,
1: as whole mushrooms or what happens to them after yeah. you've grown them? We started off as a, a typical mushroom agricultural company. We had a mushroom box that people would put on their kitchen bench and grow mushrooms and connect to the, the experience, connect to growing food again, connect to the story and as well as supplying fresh to restaurants. And then beyond that, I guess we've evolved now into a biotechnology company from agriculture. And what does biotechnology mean? Well, it's fusing biology and, and natural processes with today's technology, and so we have a lab, we have a biotechnology engineer from France, um, we have a mycologist, and we have a food scientist, and so there's a lot of, I guess, laboratory environment there. We were able to use natural processes to create what we think are, you know, potent preventative medical applicational drinks and extracts.
0: Talk us through the different extracts you have. I know you've got, you know, like reishi and and lion's mane and and whatnot, and you have them in liquid and powder forms. Can you talk us through what the specific products are that you offer and where the sort of science
1: sits around their
0: their health benefits?
1: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So very exciting that we've just, you know, in recent weeks, released our extract range, which is a liquid form of the reishi, the turkey tail, the lion's mane, the shiitake, and the cordyceps, and We went down this path because, I mean, I was in China last year um, for a tour and I understanding 95% of medicinal mushrooms come from China and we just felt, you know, mushrooms absorb the environment they're grown in and uh, and I was in Beijing at the time and, you know, the air pollution, the water you had to drink from bottles, um, just the environment, I guess it showed very clearly why a lot of Chinese investment in Australian agriculture is taking place now because, you know, they want pure food, clean food. Um, growing it growing in pristine environments and so with our mushrooms we felt again this is another reason we went to Byron Bay it's a very pristine environment air quality is very high you know local water supply is very very good and so mushrooms absorb their environment and so what they're consuming in terms of air oxygen and what they're being grown in is very important because they can absorb heavy metals growing in soils and, and things like this so our extract range essentially is, is produced and grown in Byron Bay, which is very exciting and it's very potent. And the reason we went down liquid extract range was because it's just a, a better potency, faster absorption, and you really feel the benefits a lot more. For example, the lion's mane is an amazing mushroom. It's known as a nootropic, which means it has an impact on the brain. And so it actually stimulates nerve growth factor. And this is important in remyelination of nerve sheaths. So as you get older, you know your, your axons and your nerves... Slow down in the fact that they're not able to conduct an impulse as quickly. And what that means is, and what you may see in your parents or an older population is, oh, what was that again? Oh, I forgot that. Where did I put my keys? That's the start of mild cognitive impairment. And of course, the absolute worst case scenario is Alzheimer's dementia down the track. And so lion's mane has shown very promising results in, those, in that research. But then from a younger population point of view, this nerve growth factor simulates focus, concentration, and you just feel like your brain's on fire in a non-caffeinated way. It's just very clear. And so that's very exciting that I guess we're able to produce these kind of uh, extracts. The other ones we have, uh, the turkey tail extract, which is an amazing immunomodulator in the fact that it has two medicinal compounds, PSK and PSP, and so it can downregulate your immune system if it's hyperactive and overactive, or it can upregulate it in the case of an infection or immune issues. And so it's very smart in that sense. And the reishi mushroom, which we have an extract for, is antiviral, anti-inflammatory, and also high in antioxidants. And so it just slows down that oxidation process, which is essentially cell turnover, cell death, which is essentially aging. The turkey tail, which you mentioned, which can
0: be helpful, I guess, for people that have an autoimmune disease, have you had any sort of you know, anecdotal feedback from from people suffering from autoimmune diseases and and
1: using their product. Well, Ryan, uh, co-founder, actually suffers uh, sometimes from some eczema and skin infections, and this is can be a hyperactive, you know, reaction to your own immune system, especially in times of stress, um, which the last three years have been very stressful. And so, uh, it's been very successful with him. But I guess we don't promote these from a medicinal point of view, but we've had a lot of anecdotal evidence and and feedback in terms of people doing their own research and that's what we encourage because I think every decision should be made by people making their own decisions and informed decisions based on research and the exciting thing is that there's over 10,000 medical papers on these mushrooms and so they're actually one of the most you know researched and studied areas of science in terms of medicinal properties it's all there in the literature and that's what fascinated us at the start because we're like, there's thousands of papers. No one's reading this. No one's turning this into a tangible product or solution that can help people in, in the health and wellness space, in the prevention space, in the human optimization of daily performance. It's like a lot of, I
0: guess, other natural food products which have you a know, fairly significant amount of evidence behind them being beneficial but have been suppressed to a degree by society's focus on pharmaceuticals and and you know antibiotics
1: and things like that exactly and it's always very important to understand when you're buying a product uh, you know you know who's benefiting from the marketing of this and you know how truthful is it and you know i guess it's one thing that to understand as a baseline uh, you know mushrooms have been used in western medicine for a long time you know penicillin uh, is a is a fungi antihypertensive so for blood pressure contain fungi ingredients anti-cholesterol contain this cyclosporin is a fungi based ingredient, um, which is used a lot in transplant of organs. And so these, these are fungi based Western medicine used on a, on a daily basis on millions of people.
0: Going back to the the different types of extracts that you're offering to, to sort of feel or see the health benefits, how, how much of these do you need to take and can you take lion's main and
1: ratio at the same time, or are you better, just sticking with one form of extract. Mm. I, I look at it in terms of our five extracts in terms of each, and there's, and there's millions of mushrooms and each one unlocks a different door. And so these medicinal mushrooms that we have, such as the lion's mane, really you know, lights up the brain. It's great for focus and concentration with caffeine or even just without um, caffeine. And so it, yeah, it's, it's really understanding what your intention is and what you, what your desire is, and so for Lion's Mane, you know, if you're if you're a young student studying, or if you know if you you have a big day at work, or you just want to be on for a number of meetings or performance-based thinking tasks, then you know I would recommend Lion's Mane in the morning or Lion's Mane ahead of that task. And in terms of dose or uh, recommended you know, how much you're having, it's it's important to subjectively feel it out. So whenever I'm trying these mushrooms for the first time in our products, I'll have them on an empty stomach in the morning. So I can really absorb them as best as possible and and feel feel through that. But yeah, the lion's mane is an amazing mushroom for for the morning. Uh, the ratio I more so have it in the afternoons and the evenings because subjectively it's very calming, which you know can be great for some people in the morning as well if they're waking up a bit wide or or stressed. But it's it's a great mushroom to subjectively calm your immune system and just calm your overall thought patterns. Uh, turkey tail is is also an amazing prebiotic. That's really where its strength lies, and so you know, daily consumption is good. But a lot of the research that these have been twelve week studies or sixteen week studies have shown daily. Uh, you know, and this is the tr- Chinese traditional medicine philosophy. It's you know small amounts daily built into your your rituals and your daily practice is the consumption of these mushrooms, and it's the effects you get over the long term. But also, what some of the research has shown is that You know, you get a compounding effect over taking them over a long term, but also once you stop taking them, those effects can decrease as well, which can be a good test as well because then you say, oh, why am I not as sharp? Why is I not thinking uh, as sharply as I normally am? That's what we've found as well. So yeah, Chinese traditional medicine philosophy is really small amounts daily, building it into ritual, building it into, you know, your habits.
0: Just like you know, normal produce that you'd get down at the supermarket, I'm assuming that some brands that are in this space, your competitors and, and whatnot, are using different quality mushrooms. How can a consumer know by looking at the label of a product on the shelf? Is there a way of identifying, okay, this is actually a legitimate mushroom product versus one that may not work as well?
1: Yeah. And this is a great balance between, I guess, business strategy and what you want to give the consumer is the best product. And and so for our vision, it's always been locally grown, um, whether it's our mushrooms and um, whether it's any of our products. And so we've always tried to move towards that space. And so you know, for us, we are a biotechnology company. And, and so at the back end, we have a biotechnology engineer. We have five farms across Australia, which has now recently expanded to 27 because we've launched the National Mushroom Network, which we can chat about a bit later. But yeah, it's understanding, I guess, we are the growers of these mushrooms, and that's very powerful for us. Uh, we have four patents around our technology. So behind the scenes, I guess while we're in Byron Bay at the beaches, we're also you know in the laboratories working mm. on innovative products and and scaling that, and so producing the highest quality products, working with universities and I guess that's always the the conundrum sometimes with you know with companies in terms of branding versus growing versus doing both, and we're you know we're trying to do both in terms of build a, a brand that's reputable, but really be as transparent as possible. I think transparency will win in the long term with any business going forward. The more you can talk to your customer and educate them, and tell them how they will grow and show them how they will grow on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and all these channels, that's going to resonate. And then of course you know open sourcing and letting people know what our lab results are of our product um the amino acid profile i think for us that's our defensibility and that's why we think you know will put us in the strongest position so you publish all of that information open um to you know share all of that information because yeah well again transparency will win and that's what i want as a customer and we just go off what we think that we want from other companies and i think that's a good baseline you mentioned byron bay
0: again there and it's an if 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 you're listening and you haven't heard of Byron Bay, have a Google, but make sure you try and check it out as well at some point during your life. It's absolutely beautiful. It's one of my favorite places in the world. And no doubt that's why you're you're living there. I'm super jealous. The the setup there. So you're you're growing these mushrooms. Have you sort of just taken land somewhere? And I'm going back to the farming because it's really interesting for me. But how how are you managing the growth of all the different mushrooms? on your your farm. And second part of that question is, what about like poisonous mushrooms or magic mushrooms that have, you know, hallucination type effects? How do you have to be careful that those types aren't entering your
1: system? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a great question because we are an agricultural company as well. And so how are we managing that that growing of, of these mushrooms? And so along the journey, we've always, I guess, thought more to collaborate. And we think the the evolution of business and the evolution of, of ourselves is through collaboration and, and getting as many people involved as possible and building community and so we work with a number of disability organizations and that's really been amazing because they've had some changes in their the way they've I guess been funded and so they've needed to be more commercial and mushroom growing fits really nicely with one connecting with nature they, they enjoy doing it and they're great at, at growing these mushrooms and so we've been able to connect with a number of disability organizations around Australia to assist in growing the mushrooms because we've got so many balls in the air doing so many things, um, we're able to connect. And at, in Byron specifically, we work out of the Byron Bay Herb Nursery, which is a disability organization which has been there for 20 years. It's a wholesale nursery. It's an amazing environment. It's actually in the industrial area, but very few people know about it. It's hidden away, which is you know, great. It's sort of a, a nice little sanctuary. And the, the team there in the greenhouses grow the mushrooms, look after them on a daily basis, And that's both medicinal mushrooms that we grow for extracts and then also the mushrooms that we supply to the farm and elements and harvest and other great restaurants in town. So, yeah, it's collaboration is how we've been able to scale and and grow so quickly and have these farms around Australia.
0: Has that sort of that framework, I mean, you mentioned before the National Mushroom Network and I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, but that is around having mushrooms grown at home across the country, decentralizing sort of that food system. Is that where you got the inspiration from, from having done that, I guess, with where you're growing your own mushrooms at the moment?
1: Yeah, it was, I guess, troubleshooting over the last few years and understanding to grow mushrooms from step A to Z. There's a lot of science involved there and that's where we learned very quickly that we needed a team of scientists besides Ryan and myself. And so Toma came on board from Paris and a couple of other scientists and background sort of biology experts came on board. And so how does the modern day consumer with very little time grow mushrooms at home? And so the National Mushroom Network is a decentralized food system to enable that to happen, to enable anyone to be able to grow in their backyard or on their balcony. Uh, we have you know, three different models. You'll laugh at this, but one's called the solar shroom room that grows 40 kilos per week. And that's really enabling you know, a town or a community community to be fed through these mushrooms because that's a lot of mushrooms. And that's how do we at scale quickly transition out of that, you know, meat-based, unsustainable, unethical economy to a more plant-based, sustainable, ethical, low on resources, very you know healthy, very delicious sort of food system. How long does it take to, to grow that 40 kilos of mushrooms? It's on a revolving sort of door. Yep. So that's per week. Per week. Wow. Kilos per week. And so, it's, it's growing mushrooms, it's creating a job for someone. And so, I mean, we've had some amazing stories that have been very heartwarming. A lady on the Mornington Peninsula who is a carer for her mum, who has multiple sclerosis, only able to stay at home and support from, from there. But now she can turn her backyard into you know, a business venture where she's growing mushrooms for her community, still able to stay home with her mum and support her as a carer. So those stories have, I guess, really empowered us to know that we're onto something here in terms of Decentralizing food production, you know, what is a perfect meat alternative. Um, one of them we believe is mushrooms for
0: so, many reasons. So essentially on on that farming aspect and the later down at Mornington Peninsula, you can assen- essentially become, I guess, a, a farmer, but on a very small footprint. Is that right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, sort of connecting the dots between you know, the Airbnbs and the Ubers where you're using resources that was just sitting dormant, whether it was your house or your car, this is your backyard, um, that you can now turn into feeding the community. What sort of space do you need for that, the one that was generating 40, 40. It's 000. a three-by-three three space. Okay. So this is the other thing for mushrooms is how fast they grow on an exponential curve each day they're doubling in size. And so the, you know, the turnaround is, is quick. This has taken us three years to build this system through mushroom growing and understanding how to best do it and make it a turnkey solution. But yeah, that's that's rolled out and we've got 20 growers now around Australia and we're looking to have 400 by 2020 is the vision. And in terms of a, a return on
0: investment, because I'm assuming that if someone wants to participate in that, they pay like an upfront fee or a monthly fee or something like that to get the, the setup yep. and to be uh, educated on how to grow. Well, how long does it take for someone to become profitable i mean that's probably a little dependent on i guess their community and whatnot but
1: yeah the, the great thing is since starting life cycle we've never been able to meet demand for these mushrooms because they are delicious they you know the hero of the dish and so in terms of you know return on investment depending on how many mushrooms you want to grow it's anywhere between 400 and 1200 profit per week for one solar shroom room is the model and again making it as, as turnkey as possible for people We've been able to do a good finance uh, package and deal where for $100 down, um, you can be growing and you can be getting a return on investment immediately. So that's the exciting part about it uh, in terms of creating jobs, creating micro-entrepreneurs, because what does the future of work look like? Um, It looks very different to what we are doing and seeing today. And the person who is growing
0: those at home, they then go out and sort of build out their own local distribution so to speak, to get the product onto shelves or at markets or whatnot.
1: Yeah, sure. We support them through all of our knowledge and connections and networks um, in that food industry and space, and and how to best market and sell them. But it's enabling someone. It's really a business enablement kit enabling them to grow and sell their mushrooms. And so we've got you know someone in and growing mushrooms there, and you know they're Shepherdin growing mushrooms. And again, it's going back to locally growing food production for carbon footprint.
0: And you mentioned that. There was sort of three options. That was like the, the biggest, the largest option to jump into. But, you know, if, if listeners are, are interested and they're like, okay, that might be a little too big a jump for me to start with, what are the other two options of growing the mushrooms at home?
1: Yeah, so we have the Solar shrew Room at 40 kilos. We have the, the Street Defender at 15 kilos, and that's one, a smaller model for a smaller town or just for feeding your street and and your friends and family as well. And then we have the the family model, which is five kilos, which enables you to, and it's up to five kilos. So you may only want to grow one or two, three kilos per week. We may try to make it as flexible as possible, but you can grow up to five kilos on your balcony, in your garage, put it in your backyard as well, under the patio. And this is a very small model, which enables you to, you know, feed your your own family in terms of mushroom production and grow them, and then also feed your friends and family, and and hopefully, you know, connect with street and neighbours as well, because, again. Food is a a vehicle for connection to people. It's a connection to family and friends, sharing a meal. And so, if we're able to help feed each other in terms of a community and going back to those roots of, you know, swapping and bartering food, that's a community as well. And so, hopefully, it it enables some of that down the track.
0: And you're, I mean, you you guys are set up in Byron Bay and and these options are for uh, for Australians. Is this something that's being done globally? Like, are you seeing that? You know other other companies are looking at this solutions in for example in the UK and America or, or is it something that you're looking at taking overseas eventually?
1: Yeah we're very excited because we've had a lot of interest out of North America, especially for the biotechnology elements of what we're doing with with our patents but the National Mushroom Network will be rolled out globally in America early next year, so it's very exciting wow. because um, we think connecting the technology with what we have in terms of how we can manage it and the technical back end. Yeah, it's very exciting because it's where the future of the economy is going, we believe.
0: So I'd just like to to clarify. The the National Mushroom Network and these different options where people can grow mushrooms using the footprint that they have at home, that's edible mushrooms, like whole food mushrooms that you would see down at the grocery store, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like oysters, uh, some lion's mane mushroom, which is not so much seen at groceries, but this is a, a white pom-pom looking mushroom. Shiitakes and a range of other mushrooms, sort of edible gourmet mushrooms that are delicious and and can be the hero of the dish. And
0: the extracts, though, that you offer as a company, they're they're in extract form, presumably because you can't eat the whole the whole food mushroom, or you'd have to eat too many to get the the right
1: sort of amount. A bit of both, yes. The, The reishi, for example, and the turkey tail mushrooms are not uh, edible, and the fact that they're really hard, it'd be like eating a piece of wood. Um, and so we extract them in the laboratory using water and ethanol based techniques. And that pulls out all the medicinal compounds. And so if you were to boil reishi in water, or just you know, try to eat it, um, you wouldn't get access to those compounds. And so that's why we have the extract range for that. And also just, uh, again, modern day consumer, it makes it a shelf life stable product and it makes it easy to consume, put in your bag, your backpack on the run. So it's, I guess, catering for both um, uses. And
0: if we're if we're looking forward, I guess, the next five years, what does that look like for LifeCycle? We've spoken about you're expanding the, the National Mushroom Network out globally, but from, a, a I guess, a, an extract or product development point of view, I know you're playing around with things like, the lion's mane in coffee, which I tried earlier, and it was delicious. What else is sort of on the horizon?
1: Well, yeah, we do have four patents around, I guess, biotechnology that we're developing, and that's really a big focus of our company. And we have our retail products, our extracts, and, and things. But managing textile waste at scale, um, looking at you know mushroom leather and, and building a facility there in uh, Southeast Asia that will be producing mushroom leather is on the horizon. What, what sort of application would that any any sort of you know leather app, leather
0: product you could you could make with mushroom leather or
1: yep. shoes yeah shoes or the fashion industry upholstery Wow um, you no know, hopefully maybe yeah, my dream would be to have it inside a Tesla one day or is that <laughs> well
0: they, they'd definitely be the car company that I think would give it a go is it efficient like how, how do you how do you turn mushroom into leather or a leather like
1: feeling yeah well, we, we just grow it in sheets. It's a 14-day turnaround time, so compare that to current leather production and and how we go about clothing ourselves and making ourselves look good. It's, um, this is biotechnology. This is, uh, in terms of how do you describe that, it's like the internet in 97. No one knew what it was going to do, but they knew it had a lot of applications. Biotechnology, and specifically mushroom biotechnology, we believe over the next five to ten years can transform the way we live our daily lives in the sense of you know, how we clothe ourselves, how we feed ourselves and how we keep ourselves healthy and also how we, I guess, understand the, the connection to nature and the importance of that connection and work more in harmony with nature and work with it instead of current models of business over the last 50 years have been pillage, pull, take, take, take. Um, it's about that harmonious circular loop.
0: Well, mate, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on to the podcast today and, and making yourself available. I've definitely learned a lot about mushrooms that I had no idea about. I, and you know, I, I probably will be one of your customers in terms of uh, growing my own mushrooms at home. <laughs> so I look forward to that. If any
1: of the listeners are, are super interested, how, how can they take action? At the moment, actually, we're returning to our roots in some ways you know, in terms of crowdfunding and, and building a community. As we launch the National Mushroom Network, we have a crowdfunding going on at the moment on Possible. And so um, I guess support through those means of becoming a mushroom missionary with a solar shroom room or a street defender or a family model or simply uh, you know supporting through the purchase of one of our extracts um, will enable us to launch the National Mushroom Network, invest in, in further technology and get another 100 growers up across Australia um, to build that decentralized food network.
0: And it's so rewarding, you know, to to prepare a meal that you have grown yourself, yep. or using the majority of ingredients that you've grown yourself. Now, if someone would like to to get in touch with you personally or your company, how what's the best way of doing that?
1: Yeah, info at Life Cycle, and it's uh, we made it tricky for people to find us on Google. L i f e c y k e l. That was inspired by the guys in Scandinavia when we started the company. That's how uh, it's spelt over there. Cycle c y k e l. And we just thought, in terms of their education, their, their philosophy on sustainability, their philosophy on paternity leave and maternity leave, and just they're doing so many amazing things. Um, that, you know, that's sort of where we came up with the name for Lifecycle. So, yeah, info at lifecycle.com, Instagram, Facebook, send us a message looking for more mushroom missionaries every day as we go on this journey. Well, mate,
0: thank you very much for coming on the Plant Proof Podcast. I may well be one of your mushroom missionaries and uh, look forward to chatting to you about that. I'm sure the listeners have learned a lot, so really
1: appreciate your time. Great. Thanks, Simon.
0: And that's this week's episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. Connect with myself and the Plant Proof community at plantproof.com and at plant underscore proof on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to the newsletter to receive our free plant-based nutritional information including recipes, important blogs, and much more direct to your inbox. Until next time, folks, I'm your host, Simon Hill. Keep your spacesuit plant-proof.